Hey everyone, we just wanted to give you a heads up before the show starts that we discuss some mature topics and use terminology relating to the reproductive cycle of the horse, so please use parental discretion. Thank you for doing so. Now, thanks for joining us for this episode. Let's roll it. This one was special for me today because it was my own Nixco baby. Um, and it's been highly anticipated and yeah, there was it was definitely some nerves going and a little simple, you know, when he came out and took his first couple of breaths. But so yeah, it, it can be extremely rewarding. Welcome to another episode of the Amplify Horse Racing Podcast. I am Anise Montpleasure, and I am here with... Timothy Lateau. Yeah. Can't wait, yeah. And and unfortunately, Caitlin is not able to join us today. Our host, Caitlin Christofferson, has a really beautiful off-the-track thoroughbred named Charles, who is getting transported to a different barn today, and then the shipper was late, and he lost a shoe, so... She is doing all of the horse mom things today and taking care of him. So we wish her the best and we're excited to have her on the next podcast with us. But Timothy, how's it going? How's life? How's school? Any big plans for summer yet since the year is already flying by? Not yet. Still working on it, but um, school's going well and um, trying to enjoy the last semester. So uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to finishing that up and then... uh, yeah, whatever plans come next, come next, and certainly the uh, horse racing. There's a lot going on. The Derby Trail's heating up. That's exciting. So, um, yeah, it's uh, it's gonna be a fun few months for anyone, no matter what you're doing. Yeah, that's very true. It's like anxiety-inducing how fast the Derby is coming up, and we always have some kind of amplified project going on at Derby to, you know, educate people about some of the career avenues that you know, help make the Kentucky Derby and Kentucky Oaks possible. So we've got that and lots of in-person programming that we'll have uh, coming everyone's way pretty soon. But before we get too far into the episode and introduce our amazing guests for the day, I have a fact for our listeners. Did you know that thoroughbred racetracks in Florida create more than 1,200 jobs? This Florida equine education and workforce fact is brought to you by the Florida Thoroughbred Breeders and Owners Association and the Florida Department of Agriculture, the official sponsor of this season of the Amplify Horse Racing Podcast. You can learn more about education and workforce in the equine industry in Florida at www.ftboa.com. And so... Timothy, I actually think it was your idea for this episode to host something talking about, you know, uh, horsey midwives or like, you know, basically what somebody does or what they're called and what the process is if they full mares, which uh, we are currently in foaling season. Um, Mares uh, are having their foals. There are already babies on the ground. Some started actually foaling in January. And so today, as we record this episode, it is February 14th. So happy Valentine's Day, everyone. And it's also basically the uh, official, unofficial, official-ish opening of breeding sheds 
uh, in Kentucky and, you know, in the thoroughbred industry in the Northern Hemisphere. So today is the day when now those mares can uh, start going and visiting stallions to be bred back for next year, which we're going to talk to our guests all about, you know, this process and why some of the timing is the way that it is. Uh, and what it's like to foal and everything that goes into this amazing season. So with that, I'd like to welcome Sabrina Moore, partner and manager of Greenmount Farm in Maryland, who's also the breeder of the 2021 Horse of the Year, Nick's Go. So welcome, Sabrina. Thank you so much for joining. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. How was my my explanation of foaling season? Did I Did I miss anything right off the bat that you wanted to touch on? Uh, not much. I mean, aside from just losing a lot of sleep, that's about it. Um, but no, I'm excited to talk about it and give people um, a little bit of insight that, you know, they don't get to see a whole lot of the behind the scenes. So it'll be fun to talk about for sure. When you tell people what you do, do you tell them that you're basically an equine midwife or how do you explain your job? Yeah. Cause I mean, it's funny. I, um, you know, you go and get your nails done or somebody asks you what your job is and you say, oh, I full out horses and they have no idea. So equine midwife is actually what I use uh, precisely. And that kind of gives people a general idea because I mean, that is exactly what we are. You know, we're not veterinarians. We're not, you know, certified in anything. Somehow we're all experts, but um, you know, it's, we, we, you know, learning by doing and we're just there to help the mares. And you know, nine times out of 10, everything goes great, but you, um, you're always, very lucky you are there when disaster strikes. So, yeah. Gosh, well, there are a lot of things to touch on. Timothy, you want to jump in? Yeah, well, you mentioned like lack of sleep and I'm sure just around the clock, it can be stressful at times too, but is it also one of the most rewarding jobs when that full arrives? Oh, it is. I had um, my first mare due this year was technically due yesterday. She's been stressing me out for at least a week. Um, I've been sleeping in the barn for a week. Um, she's been dripping milk for three days. Uh, she finally had her full this morning and I think I'm running on, uh, I don't know, a few hours of sleep every couple hours. <laughs> you know, I have, um, as you mentioned before about equipment and things. Um, so for anybody that doesn't know, I have a very boutique operation. I only keep about between 30 to 40 horses here. Um, we have little staff, we try to keep the numbers low, um, and I use a device um, called Full Alerts, and they will alert you when the water breaks, but you have to be there immediately. I mean, like, right out the door. Um, so, But I don't always trust it, and my anxiety gets the best of me. I've got falling alarms. I've got um, even, like, a baby monitor to make sure, and I keep it on me, so the beeping is really loud when I hear it. Like, there's absolutely – and it calls my phone. I mean, I have just, like, oh, every – Every, you know, every mark checked for sure. Um, Cause the anxiety does get the best of you, but uh, yeah, I mean, and so yeah, this one was special for me today cause it was my own Nixco baby um, and it's been highly anticipated. And yeah, there was, it was definitely some nerves going and a little sniffles, you know, when he came out and took his first couple breaths. And Aww. so, yeah, it, it can be extremely rewarding. Um, and especially, you know, even just following them throughout the years and <clears throat> just knowing that, you know, that your face was the first one they saw. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's really, it's fun. It's, 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 you can't compare it to anything else. 
So it sounds like you have a lot of equipment and technology to get a get set up, you know, before foaling season even starts and you're sleeping in the barn. So what is your preparation process before foaling season even begins? Like when do you start to set up where you're going to sleep and getting all the monitors and everything in order? So um I used to I mean, it's funny. I called it like my graduating system. I used to sleep on like this little wicker chair in my tack room and then I moved it to a couch and then I got a bed. And then I think two, two years ago, maybe last year, I actually bought a camper to like post up at the barn and it is pimped out. It's awesome. Um, so it's actually pretty comfortable in there now. <laughs> I, I consider myself quite spoiled. Um, but Oh, shoot. I mean, really, I've been doing it so many years and I have everything pretty set up, but it's just like anything. As soon as you go to plug it in after you haven't for six months, something's going wrong. So, you know, you just want to make sure everything's all lined up. Um, But aside from even just the equipment and things, I mean, we're preparing for fulling season. It feels like it doesn't end because even breeding back, doing preg checks, keeping up on vaccines, then, I mean, you know, and at my farm, we sell horses and we do sales prep too. And, uh, it gives us a little break to pretend like we're not thinking about broodmares and foaling, but as soon as sales season's over, it's right back to foaling again. Um, so, you know, it's kind of just depends on your due dates. Like I didn't really start freaking out until beginning of February this year. So, so talk us through that whole process from you have a mare who is about to foal, and then through her foaling, getting her bread back, and what that looks like, you know, for somebody out there who who might have no idea of, of what that entire process entails. Yeah, so, you know, even starting from when a horse is bred, um, you know, we check them between 14 and 16 days after they ovulate, right after they're bred, see if they're pregnant. We do a series of pregnancy checks up until then, they're getting vaccines all the way through. And then really up until the month before is when um, the real prep starts. Um, we get everybody moved over to the foaling barn. Um, <clears throat> from there, we're, they're coming in every night, checking bags. Um, some mares have cat slicks. So they got to get opened. Um, you know, just really looking for those changes. And like I said earlier, when some things are wrong, you know, some mares can bag up early. And these are things that, you know, we're always peeking under mares, you know, even if they're not under full check or, you know, in for full watch yet, we're still checking them out in the field twice a day to make sure there's no early signs of anything going wrong. Um, But yeah, so, you know, they'll eventually start building a bag, which, you know, is their udder. Then those are kind of our telltale signs. We can kind of tell from there, you know, that's our clock. We, you know, some mares, they'll start bagging up, then they'll get little wax on their teeth, then they'll start dripping milk. And then, you know, you can kind of notice a lot of their body changes, their stomach kind of drops, or um, there's, you know, some changes in their hips and around their tail head and things like that. Um, Some mares are really obvious and some mares are really sneaky. So this is where the anxiety sets in because every once in a while, I mean, I was telling a story last night actually it was even Super Bowl. you know, my sister lives five minutes from the house and I really wanted to go watch a halftime show and I wanted to go and eat all the food and do all the fun stuff. And I couldn't, I was like, I, at one time I had a mare that was in the barn and I ordered food up the street and I was like, I'm just going to go get it really quick. 
I pulled out of the driveway and my full alert went off. And I was like, there's oh, no way. I, I just, I was just in there two minutes ago and I come back and our water broke. So, I mean, it's really things like that, that I mean, they are sneaky. And, you know, I mean, it's, um, and I try to remind people, cause they're like, come on, have the baby. But it's really not up to the mirror. It's up to the full when it's going to come. They don't even really know when it's coming. <laughs> so it's, um, it, it's, it can be a surprise for everyone. So you just really have to cover all your bases and make sure you're there. And, um, you know, just, you have to be there. There's really no other way around it. Sabrina, you're so like organized and just, you know, on the ball when it comes to, um, preparing for filling season. I'm glad it appears that way. Yeah. Well, (laughs) it sounds like it, but, um, what, have you ever like missed a full or anything like, or, or have you been there for every single birth? Well, you know, everyone there would be people lying saying if they haven't missed it and i'm gonna say those are it's funny i was talking to somebody um, about this the other day and they had actually missed one and we're laughing and we're telling stories back and forth of just like you know the everything turns out fine but it's one of those like uh uh-oh and you know it's um and i'm like this is like the untold tales of the foaling barn but um you know it's it's tough and i mean but here's the thing too it's if you miss something, it's usually not by very long. I mean, like I said, minutes or just, you know, you're running down to the barn and the mare spits it out really quick. But if there were a problem, you'd be able to be there and catch it. Um, so, you know, that's the most important part, um, especially for, you know, just even regionally, you know, we do have a couple bigger foaling farms, but there's a lot of people out here that are doing this just, um, you know, small scale. And, what I try to explain and tell a lot of people that are, you know, trying to get into this business and understand is, you know, you got to break down everything to what it costs to a scoop of food, to a flake of hay, to a flake of straw, to, all right, if my foaling fee is 500, then, you know, how many hours am I watching this horse and what is it going to pay off having a full watcher 24 seven? So that's why we have things like the, um, all of our, you know, the pagers and the alerts and things like that. Cause it really does help. And, point blank too. I mean, we just don't have the help. So, um, to be honest with you, I'm only foaling my own two mares this year because I've struggled with finding help so badly that I personally know that I would be so overwhelmed and it's just, you know, God forbid a disaster strikes. I want to make sure I absolutely have somebody there, like no ifs, ands, or buts. And I just couldn't, you know, guarantee that this year. So, um, I'm, de- I'm referring a lot back and then they're going to come back and get raised, but yeah, it's, it's tough. I mean, it's a tough business. It's really labor intensive. Um, and just the time and like, you really do. I- I'm so happy to have a break, <laughs> but I mean, cause you do, you lose your mind. You get a little bit of PTSD. Like I, I hear, um, my phone has the, for the full alert is a certain ringtone. It's like the old school iPhone thing. And it'll be July and I'll be in the grocery store and hear that. And my stomach drops. Like, oh, you know, no. it, it's wild. It is wild. <laughs> but, um, so yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's tough, but, and you know, things happen, but for the most part, we're all there. We're trying our best. <laughs> so you've, you've referred to full watch or, or night watch a couple times. Um, mm-hmm. So if we were talking about, you know, a really big farm that's going to be foaling out a ton of mares, can you describe to us what kind of staff they would have on site to be, you know, monitoring the mares 24-7 and helping with those foalings? Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, most of the time they have kind of shifts. 
everybody's shifts are different. Um, some people show up at seven, leave at seven or six or however long they can stand. Um, then there's, you know, the farm crew during the day, or they might have a designated person just to watch during the day. And then it kind of rolls over. And, you know, one of the good things about being a full watch person is getting a lot of experience. Um, and that's maybe one thing where, you know, a lot of your listeners might be interested because everyone's looking and it is hard and it's tough and you're sometimes slapping yourself in the face to stay awake. Uh, but it's a really good way to start just recognizing these things. Like I said, not every mare is the same and, you know, your intuition kind of, you start to build an intuition kind of deal. And um, most of the time the manager will know how to fold and they're on site, but they're sleeping and doing things, you know, normal people should be doing. And uh, you call them and alert them when they need to come. So, and you know, they're there to assist with the foldings and uh, you could sit and watch and be a help. And, you know, it's, you'll always need hands. It's, you know, like I said, nine times out of 10, everything goes fine. They really don't need help, but when you need help, you need help. Um, and you, you know, better hope that everybody's there that can, you know, pull and, you know, even hold a mare or hold this leg so I can reach for this leg or, you know, something like that. But um, yeah, so that's typically what happens. So I've only done full watch once and it was when I was doing, you know, some educational rotations. So it was for mm -hmm. an 11 night period. We had 11 foals during that time. Oh my gosh. But yeah. so it was, there were a lot of babies. Um, it was great, great experience for a short period of time. But my one mistake was watching the show series, Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat, uh, which oh, yeah, if you guys have itself. never seen it, it's like the most amazing food series. It's uh, based off of the book by that name by Samin Nasrat. And mm. oh my gosh, like nothing makes you hungrier than sitting in a barn at 1 a.m. watching this. Up. I tell people that all the time. Your body wants fuel because you're so tired. It like needs energy. And I'm like, McDonald's isn't helping. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, and it is, it's, well, and you're used to sleeping at that time. Like you're used to not eating for, you know, eight, nine hours. And when you're awake, your stomach's like, hello. Yeah. Yeah. Like, can I eat everything? I would plow through all my snacks in like the first 30 minutes. I know it's, it's miserable. I used to, uh, one of my hacks is, um, hot sauce and I would just like, <laughs> yeah, to stay awake. And it, it's an old truck driver thing. And like, you take a swig of hot sauce and your mouth's burning and you can't fall asleep. I told you it's, it gets brutal sometimes. <laughs> Oh my gosh! Stay awake, uh, and you know, I like I said, it's some. Um, it, it's tough for me because you know I do uh, almost all of my own work from, you know, I'm there, and I do. I have some that muck stalls, but when it comes to turning out, I mean, you know, it's you need two people, or you know, the vet's coming, or you know, you need to do this or that, and sometimes you'll be up all night with one, and then they won't fall, and you got to watch them during the day too. So it's, um, you know. It's it can be really extremely labor intensive when you're um, doing it on a small scale. The the bigger, you know, operations are definitely the way to go, and it's a lot more humane on <laughs> the people. But um, it can be done. It like I said, there there's many things that so we have so many foley aids that really help nowadays. Yeah, so. that's so funny that you. <laughs> 
it's like the horses are treated so uh, like princesses. They're, these mares are like queens throughout foaling season and you pour so much hard work and love into them and the humans are just like exhausted, uh-huh, sleep deprived, eating McDonald's, eating Even hot socially. I'm like, I'm <laughs> surprised I've kept so many friends. Like I say Sabrina's <laughs> on six months out of the year because I'm just like, well, it's January. I'll see you guys in June. You know, I do have a lot of good friends that come over and they'll watch with me or, you know, just they're like, well, I haven't heard from Sabrina in a while. They'll just stop in and um, they're good to me. So Sabrina, have you over the years as like you've done this more, have you gotten better about like kind of like managing like, OK, now I can take a break and get some sleep or not or like or is it um, always brutal every year? It's, it's honestly gotten worse. My anxiety has gotten worse about because I, I just like, you know, like I said, um, and, you know, the more things you see, uh, like, you know, and it's something that nobody ever wants to go through, but losing mares and losing foals, it's almost inevitable. Um, and some things just happen and you're always wondering, well, shoot, what could have I done differently or was there anything I could have done differently? And, you know, having to wait till eight in the morning to call the owner to tell him what happened or, you know, it, it's things like that. And I mean, I'm just, um, I'm a pretty empathetic person, I guess I would say. So the, I mean, and I think anybody is, you know, we work with these animals cause we love them. Um, and trying to, you know, and, and that's why we do it. That's why we're there. You know, we want to make sure everything goes well. So when something doesn't, um it's devastating but you got to keep moving on and you got to keep you know the other horses need fat or you know the mare to the foal that just died you know needs you know some extra care and things like that or vice versa when the mare is dying the foals you know nurse mare is on its way and yeah talk talk about that process because I've seen you know only once I've ever seen a a nurse mare being introduced to a a foal um whose mother passed away um, but like, how do you even find a nurse mare? What is that yeah. process of the introduction? Right. Well, and luckily I've grown up in a stage and I've been doing this where we have the hormonally induced nurse mares. Um, and that's the only way we've ever done it. Um, but you know, and I've had mares die with older foals that I've, you know, bottled and bucket raised. And by the time you're done with your you know, formula and how labor intensive that is. And, you know, the amount of gastric cards you go through, you should have just got the nurse mare. Um, but, you know, I kind of have like a, a tough time with the nurse mares too. It just depends, you know, um, their jobs are really hard. It's very difficult. It, it's going against everything in nature to, you know, adopt, a you know, something that's not yours. And um, especially when they are being hormonally induced, it's, it's tough. Um, but, I work with a really good group. It's the Cold Springs Nurse Mares, and um, she she won't give me her secret. I don't know what it is. They do something special, and she will never tell anybody. But um, she spent a lot of time somewhere, I can't remember, and developed this whole protocol for the nurse mares. And when they, you know, it, it was really cool, actually. So we had one that had been rejected by um, the mare died, and um the first nurse mayor we got was not working. So I called her in and she came all the way from, I think Tennessee or something. Wow. And yeah. And we, we go in and we take a towel and we rub it on the full. Then we go rub it on the mare. Then we rub it on the full and we rub it on the mare. We, we do it a few times and she starts like nickering 
and we take her off the trailer and we walk in the, and me and my friend were bawling by the time this happened. Like we walk her in the, the, the stall and they're both just looking at each other and it was like an instant connection. And they, they, we didn't have that with the other people. And I was like, oh my gosh, like she really does do something really different. And I mean, they connected just like that. And like I said, this girl, she works on hormonally inducing these mares for, I think maybe even a month before. Cause you know, she, she just has, a whole group of girls that she does this with or mares um and she just sits around and waits on calls and so these mares are ready to go and i mean this baby was struggling for a while the mare was in the hospital and then you know they eventually put the mare down and then they got this other nurse mare and it wasn't going great we were trying to force it and he just like you could tell he was just like so loved and this Aww. man had a big old juicy bag and he was starving and i mean they and the the mare just was like adored him it, it was wild wow. so um yeah i mean like i said there's those mares are saints in themselves um and they really do save a lot of lives for a lot of foals and um i mean shoot they're just they're priceless it's so it's just such an interesting process and i understand even the nurse mare business is such a niche thing because it's not like yeah you can have a gazillion nurse mare businesses out there, but those who do specialize in that are in high demand. Cause if you think of there being, you know, what 17,000 foals born each year, you know, it's not going to be a massive percentage of mares that pass away, but, um, or also there are mares that might reject their foals. Um, but that's, it's still going to happen at some point. So to specialize in that is just such a fascinating thing. But yeah. say, oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, no, it's just me. And like, even uh, when she came, she had actually brought another mare. Um, and she was waiting on a call because there was a horse that was in, shoot, I don't know, it was somewhere it was like eight hours away, but it was closer to me than it was her. So she brought her, she left the mare at my house for a couple of days. I kept treating the mare, you know, with her protocol. And in like three days, she just kind of hung out and, you know, then she said she got the call in three days and she loaded up the mare and then went on to the next one. So it was, um, yeah, it's, it's really, it's an amazing, um, you know, it is a business, but I mean, it's, it's for her that has to be so extremely rewarding. It's just really fun. So say you have a healthy falling, it goes perfectly, you have a baby on the ground Talk to us from that point on, you know, there might be some people out there that don't know how long it should take for a foal to stand or to poop for the first time or like all of those processes that are really, really important for a healthy foal. So talk us through that point to like getting the mare back in foal again and what all of it looks like. So I always joke, you know, everybody's the anticipation is like, oh, the mare having the baby. And then everybody thinks it's over. And I'm like, this, the fun has just started. So, you know, um, <clears throat> immediately just from that, you know, you're, you're, you're always on high alert to look for absolutely anything wrong. And it always starts with, huh, that doesn't look right. Or, um, you know, so, you know, the, the mare foals and um, let's see, I mean, the first thing we like to see is the baby's sternal and, you know, it's trying to move, it's breathing well, all of its, you know, face is cleared out. And uh, the mare's comfortable. That's a big thing. Uh, the mares can get really painful after, or um, you can have some issues with that. Like I said, you want to make sure that baby's bright and alert. Like even though they were just born, um, you know, naturally in the wild, I mean, they're supposed to be standing in an hour. 
and up and all the way, you know, away from any predators. <clears throat> and so I have a one, two, three rule, which I think is what a lot of people do. Um, standing in an hour, nursing in two, and the placenta dropping in three. Um, so that's kind of, you know, some some things we go through. Um, sometimes foals need help standing. And then, you know, if they have trouble, you can usually see there might be <clears throat> something wrong with their tendons or, you know, this or that. They just might need a little extra help. Um, we dip navels um, to make sure that, you know, goes right away just to cut out any infection. Because that's another thing. I mean, their little belly buttons, that's, you know, the mainstream to their entire body. That's, you know, what's been keeping them alive. And then they come out and it breaks. And then, oh, that's another thing. People are always like, do you cut the cord? So when the mare gets up, typically the cord breaks away naturally on its own. So you don't have to worry about that. Um, but yeah, so navel infections are a huge thing. So we make sure we dip those right away. Like you said, passing meconium is another huge thing. It can cause a lot of distress with a foal. So usually we give them an enema to help them pass that. Um, let's see, nursing, standing, making sure they can get up and down to nurse. Typically we want to see them get up and down every hour, make sure they're, you know, latching onto that bag and really, so mares have, um, you know, they carry natural antibodies, which is the colostrum in their bag. And you need to make sure the baby can absorb as much as that as possible within the first eight hours. Um, usually after that, we have a vet come out. Everybody has a different process. My vet comes out after eight hours to draw blood and we check certain levels to make sure they got enough colostrum. Um, personally at my farm, we do plasma, which is just extra antibodies to make sure, you know, if they didn't get enough or, you know, it's something I think more or less that makes us feel good. And I tell everybody, it doesn't mean that your baby won't get sick down the road, but if they do, hopefully this will help make it less sick. Um, so we do that as well. Um, we turn out usually after that, I wait to make sure the vet comes over, looks at them. Um, we make sure that all oh, the blood works. Okay. That's, you know, I like to wait till we come back although because sometimes they can look fine and you're like oh it's a nice bouncy baby and you get blood work back and it's all over the place which you know might indicate something creeping up slowly and uh that's the another you know one of my anxiety triggers is <laughs> you know they can look fine and they can crash real quick um same thing with the mares i mean a lot of things that i see are you know colics 12 hours after 24 hours after um, you know, it, it's a huge space in there that all of a sudden it is empty and then the mare's, you know, rearranging herself and sometimes things get twisted and, you know, that's where a lot of that, um, a lot of tragedy can strike there too. So, you know, it's just monitoring a lot of that, but typically they can start going out. They can start, you know, going out a few hours a day, half a day, mine come in, Usually until the weather starts getting nicer, um, even my older foals, I like to bring them in at night, especially our winters can get a little harsh up here um, until, you know, it starts staying pretty nice outside. Um, but, you know, we have a lot of mares that fold, or will go and get bred back to Kentucky. So um, seven days after the mare is full, we have a vet that comes and checks, um, checks the mare to make sure reproductively everything looks great. Um, and then we start booking vans. So they'll go straight down there. They go through the whole process of getting bred back. Usually mares are bred back within a month. Um, you know, give or take, there's a bunch of different variables there too, but you know, 
that I could start a whole new podcast on that. <laughs> um, and then, you know, then we're going back through and making sure everybody's pregnant and babies are growing up good and legs are straight and making sure they need no corrections. And, um, you know, once the mares are pregnant, we bring them back home and we just start raising them from here. So, you know, and it's just the journey of becoming a racehorse, I suppose. Wow. It really yeah, is such a, a meticulous process. It is. Like I said, there's just a lot of things you just got to, um, it doesn't seem like that much. Like I said, I just ran over it like months worth of stuff in two minutes, but it's, um, it, it goes a, a little slower than that and you have uh, more time to think about it, but it, it, I guess when you snowball it like that, it's a lot. <laughs> so I know you, you're not falling quite as much this year, you personally, as you have in past years, but in past years when you're completely swamped and you fold a ton of mares, do you have like a final baby celebration? Like after you have that final fold on the ground, you, yeah, you know, my, uh, my favorite is, and I don't care how much it costs and who I have to hire, but Preakness is my Super Bowl. I'm like, Preakness comes around. I don't, I, I'm only 30 minutes from Pimlico and I'm just like Black Eyed Susan Day and Preakness Day and that Sunday to be hungover. That's my celebration. <laughs> that's what I do. And uh, typically, usually we're wrapped up by then because, you know, as it goes, nobody really wants any June fulls or anything born after you know late may there might be a few stragglers um and if there are like i said i'm like i hire full watchers out the wazoo and they stay the night and they do the thing and um but even like when i am taking mares in i look at cover dates and i'm like nope you gotta go somewhere else because <laughs> uh yeah it's just it gets exhausting to that point and i've done i've done up to 30 mares um you know, in my small farm and it's a lot, but, uh, yeah, that's, that's ours. We were done by May 2nd last year and I'm just praying every year. I'm like, please just go before Preakness. (laughs) Tell us about like the cover dates. What would be like the last date? Like you think you'd accept? Um, you know, I've done a few warm bloods and they're usually, I don't know why. I mean, naturally mares come into season, in springtime probably like late march april i might be making that up because we are mares that aren't cycling we put them under lights to artificially get them to start cycling earlier in january or you know right now like um anise said earlier in the episode you know the sheds are open um so in you know i think you were saying earlier you know are the you want them as close to january as possible um especially for our sale horses and things like that. It's really hard to sell a small baby. And most people have the imagination. They'll pull them out and they'll, oh, it's a May baby and it's got time to grow. But I mean, truthfully, you know, by the time they're two and three, they're always just going to be that couple months behind. And eventually it doesn't matter, but in their younger years, especially selling them, they've got to look early. Um, So, yeah, I mean, like I said, most of the thoroughbreds, I don't have to worry about it. I've fold you know, a few stragglers in June, but I don't want to do it. <laughs> really, you've got to be a good friend of mine to take anything after June. I that, that brings up a really good point, like going back to that piece of when breeding sheds open, I think it's worth mentioning, you know, mares have an 11-month gestation period when they are pregnant. And 
thoroughbreds all turn another year older on January 1st for, you know, identification purposes. So you don't want a mare that accidentally foals in December or like foals a little earlier than you'd want because then all of a sudden January 1st hits and that baby is, you know, on paper another year older. Um, And so, you know, generally breeding sheds open mid-Feb so that you, you know, hopefully don't have mares that are foaling in December. Um, So, yeah, I just thought I'd throw that in. But I like that you made that point about how it also affects sales going forward as well, because um, for anybody who's never seen a a sales catalog before, it does have uh, the foaling date of that horse that you're looking at. So people will definitely consider that in, you know, how precocious a horse might be versus if it will need a little extra time to develop um, based on when it was born. But you can, you can physically tell them, Sabrina, I'd like for you to talk about this too, like how quickly they mature and how physically different a full born in January or February might be from one born in May you know, by the time you hit August of this year. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's very evident. Um, And, you know, sometimes, and I've noticed too, with just mares of my own that I've had for so long, um, like Cosmo's buddy, for instance, she had very forward looking weanlings, but then they kind of bottom out at yearlings. So I kind of sold a lot of hers as weanlings because I knew Mm. like you take a look at them and you're like, dang, this looks like a nice horse. Like, you know, it's pretty big for its age. And, but then it, I don't know, it's weird. They just kind of, they weren't very big horses, but they matured quickly. And then I have horses that are vice versa. Um, and I've regretted selling weanlings. And then I turn around and watch them sell in Keeneland September for triple the amount that I sold them. Like that horse looks a lot better than when I had it. Um, but you know, it's, uh, it, it's tricky, but like you said, I mean, um, they, they're bears. I mean, if you take a January next to a May and you might not think even sometimes April's, um, but you know, there's also things too, where a mare's first full is typically smaller. Um, there's some mares that just throw smaller babies. Some mares throw monsters. Um, it, you know, there's a lot of variables to consider, but, um, mainly, uh, just the birth date alone is a huge difference. And like you said, I mean, at, when you're pulling them out as weanlings, you can, it's a lot more noticeable. Um, they do seem to even up a little bit by the time they're yearlings, especially later in the year, um, like those October sales and things. But you can look at one and you're like, if it looks a little immature, you check out its birthday and you're like, oh, okay, it's a May, that makes sense, or a late April or um, something like that, or vice versa. You see one and you're like, huh, this thing looks a little dinky. And then it's a January or February. You might want to, <laughs> you might want to reconsider, but, um, yeah, a lot of it depends on genetics and sometimes even where they're raised, but, um, you know, you can't feed too much to a horse to make it any bigger. Sometimes it, they just are who they are. Um, and that's why a lot of people like with doing, um, all these matings and things, it's not just bloodlines. Like it really counts to go and, you know, um, you know, put uh, confirmation, you know, into what you're trying to line up with your mare, what she lacks, you know, if she needs some more size or um, is she short couple, do you want to put her with something a little longer, or, you know, something like that. So um, yeah, it's, 
that that's another deep dive that you guys should do with a <laughs> bloodstock agent. But uh, yeah, it's that, that's also a really cool thing to do with seeing a lot of these mares and raising a lot of these babies and seeing a lot of connections and patterns. That's some great insight right there. See, we already have a follow-up episode yeah. that we have to start researching. Do you, do you have, you know, kind of as we wind down the episode, like, your favorite, most memorable foal ever. Oh, geez. Well, that's that's an easy shot. Um, I I love my little next go. That was a it was a crazy full lane. I mean, it went fine, but like I had touched based on it with um, Gabby Gaudet because I had uh, we had him, and then yeah, my I, my dad has had a slew of health problems, and it's oh my gosh, you just. One thing after another with him, and then he—I uh, got a call that night, and then they were like rushing him to shock trauma. And once again, what are you gonna do? You can't leave. I'm like, I just had a baby. I got to make sure this thing stands, nurse, poops, all this other stuff, and you know. But uh, and just thinking back to that time and the horse that he came into, and really the foalings are kind of a blur. I'm not gonna lie. Like uh, I remember though, I, I just took a horse for layup, and we walked him into the barn, and. Um, I was like, put him in this stall. And they were like, why? I was like, he was born in this stall. I want him in this stall. And uh, it's funny. Like, I mean, I've probably done over 200 full lanes. I've tried to count and I can't. But if I've done on average, I've definitely done over that in the past 10 years. Um, And, you know, it's just really neat. But I I remember almost all of them. And it's, I, I, if anybody's seen my Instagram, I am just like, I, I snap and save, snap and save, snap and save. And I, I mean, shoot on my phone. I have like 70,000 pictures on there and I'm not even exaggerating. Uh, I feel better um, now it, about my phone. <laughs> it's bad. And I have like, oh God, I, I have another computer that has like, I don't need, like it's frozen. I can barely get the pictures on it because there's so many. Um, but yeah, I just, I don't know. It's really neat to go back and look at them. And actually I have a, um, a horse that I bred a long time ago and I remember him. He was a funny story too. he, he fold in <laughs> early in the day and I had this poor boy working for me and he was, I don't know, 15 doing stalls. And I was like, I'm going up to the house. I'm going to bed. And I was like, call me if anything looks weird. Well, what happens? This miracle. And he calls me. And I'm like, hello. And he's like, uh, uh, uh. And he doesn't know what to say. And he's like, there, there's something coming out. And I'm like, what? And I'm like, all right, I'll be down there. I ran down there. I had no shoes on. So I'm like running down. I'm like, what? what's going on? She's like, she's having a baby. And oh, my God. And so that was that was uh, hilarious. I mean, I pulled this horse in no shoes. And um, but eight years later, I had he went to California and he came back to Maryland or in Pennsylvania. The old connections wanted to claim him back. I got him back. He they gave him to me. I'm gonna take him Aww. to the RRP thing. And it's the same thing. It's like, and you know, he's in his little stall and he was born here. And it's you know, it's just really cool to have some of these guys come full circle. And there's there's a lot, you know, and it's it's hard to single out one, but all my babies, they're near and dear to my heart. And I try to take especially the ones that I personally have um bred myself and you know and even if I don't hoard them for myself which I have quite a few um I you know just try to find a soft place for them and I want them to be used and loved and uh you know have long lives after and it's just I don't know they're also special and to be there the very first time like I said in the beginning and um just give them that first foundation I mean you know learning to walk learning to tie learning to load on the trailer do all the cool things that they will be doing for the rest of their lives is 
really special. So it's hard to beat, even with the lack of sleep. <laughs> I feel like we need to have a regular fixture on the podcast that's like storytelling with Sabrina. Your your imagery <laughs> oh is like unparalleled. <laughs> Yeah. And I rarely hold back. Don't you worry. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure there's just so much that goes on because it's like you're raising, you know, think about humans. You know, we raise the kids, send them off to college when they're 18. You're sending yeah. your kid off, you know, when they're a year. So, yeah. you know, there's so much that, like you were just saying, that you're teaching them and so much that they have to learn. But yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really special. It's cool. We, we take it for granted. Like I said, I, I complain a lot, but um, if I was stuck in a cubicle all day, I'd probably complain more. So, <laughs> Well, Sabrina, thank you so much for joining us. This has been awesome and such a great, timely episode to be able to have. Uh, so best of luck with the rest of the season and uh, hopefully see you in Kentucky soon or maybe one of the Amplify podcast team members will make it to Preakness this year and we'll see you there. Oh, you guys should. We'll be I'm part so of your good. celebration. We can. Yeah, I'll show you guys all around. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you guys so much. I appreciate it. Awesome. Thank you, Take Sabrina. care. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Amplify Horseracing Podcast. Be sure to check out our website, www.amplifyhorseracing.org, and follow us on social media on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube for more of our content. If you have any podcast ideas, please email us at info at amplifyhorseracing.org. We'll catch you next time.